Welcome to Horty Springer Health Law Expressions podcast on a segment we like to call the Kickback Chronicles. I'm Henry Cassell. And I'm Hala Mazoffer. We invite you to kick back and relax as we dive into this week's case. The title of today's podcast is Hometown Heroes. So everyone loves it when a story has a personal touch or some connection to where you're at or where you're from. It just makes a story a little more exciting and a lot more relatable. So today, to kick off the Kickback Chronicles for the 2024 New Year and following a brief hiatus, Henry and I are going to be looking at some healthcare fraud cases that have a connection to us right here in Pittsburgh. A look at our hometown heroes, if you will. Now, Pittsburgh is a huge and important city of healthcare excellence. And while the vast majority of providers in our fair city are honest, hardworking healthcare professionals, there is, unfortunately, no shortage of providers who are willing to cut corners and sometimes commit fraud. So to kick off our homage to our home, Pittsburgh, we're going to start by discussing a recent case involving a Mr. Ravitez Reddy, who owned two clinical labs in the Pittsburgh area. Now, Mr. Reddy's scheme requires some background information to understand why Pittsburgh was the prime spot for the scheme to occur. So, Henry, can you please fill us in on some details before we dive into what Mr. Reddy got himself involved in? Absolutely, Hala. When we discuss the Stark Law, the Medicare Anti-Kickback Statute, we always state that these laws apply to claims that are paid for in whole or in part by Medicare and other federal health care programs. This gives the impression that the Medicare program directly reimburses the provider. But that is not how the Medicare program works in the real world. In reality, CMS pays Medicare Part B claims, which is the reimbursement that's paid to physicians, clinics, and other healthcare providers, including clinical laboratories, through fiscal agents called Medicare Administrative Contractors, or MACs. MACs are statutory agents for CMS. They are private entities that have been awarded geographic jurisdiction to process Medicare Part B medical claims for durable medical equipment and for Medicare fee-for-service beneficiaries. So MACs are private entities that review claims and make payments to providers for Part B services rendered to Medicare beneficiaries. The MACs are responsible for processing Medicare claims arising from their assigned geographical area, including determining whether the claims are for a covered service. In order to receive Medicare reimbursement, providers have to apply to the applicable MAC in their geographic region and execute a written provider agreement. This written agreement specifically states that the provider must certify that they will abide by all Medicare laws, regulations, and program instructions, and that the provider will not present a false or fraudulent claim for payment by Medicare. In Pennsylvania, there's a company named Novitas Solutions that is the MAC for the Consolidated Medicare Jurisdictions covering Louisiana, Mississippi, Oklahoma, Texas, and Pennsylvania. Before this podcast, I have to tell you, I was under the impression that all MACs reimbursed all Part B providers the same amount for Medicare covered services. But that is apparently not so. Apparently, there's some variation allowed by Medicare for the amount that a particular MAC reimburses providers for a certain service. According to the government's indictment, that is what happened here. The government claimed that Novitas offered the highest reimbursement rate in the United States at one particular point in time for certain laboratory tests. While I may not have known this, Mr. Reddy apparently did. Hela, why don't you tell us how Mr. Reddy took to heart the sage advice 
told to Woodward and Bernstein and the Medicare scandal by the person they called Deep Throat to follow the money and in doing so ended up the subject of our inaugural podcast of 2024. Absolutely, Henry. So as we stated at the outset, Mr. Reddy was the owner of two independent clinical labs located right here in Pittsburgh. The first was personalized genomics and the other was Health services management, which coincidentally I drive by every day on my way to work. Now, Mr. Reddy was engaged in what is fast becoming a classic Medicare fraud scheme where you have a team of telemarketers that get access to thousands of Medicare beneficiaries. They target them with telemarketing campaigns. There are kickbacks to providers to submit claims to Medicare, and this all results in fines and jail time. Now, the lab tests that were the focus of this fraudulent scheme were cancer genomic tests and pharmacogenetic testing specimens. Now, pharmacogenetic tests test specific genetic variations in genes that impact metabolism of certain medications. These tests can be used in the case of cancer treatment to, among other things, detect whether certain medications would be effective if used by a particular patient. Now, as you can imagine, this test is primarily used to treat cancer patients. A person needs to be suffering from cancer for this test to be medically necessary. There is no need to test how your body would metabolize a certain medication for a disease you don't actually have. So here the telemarketers would send cheek swabs to the beneficiaries' homes or provide them at what they called health fairs held throughout the U.S. The beneficiaries would then swab their cheeks, and then these the swabs would get sent to Mr. Reddy's clinical labs for testing. Reddy and his conspirators, because these schemes are often not a one-man show, would then pay kickbacks to the owner of a telemedicine company so that the telemedicine physicians that worked for the company would provide prescriptions for these tests. And you already know the story. This happened despite the fact that those physicians did not conduct a proper telemedicine visit. They weren't treating the Medicare beneficiaries for cancer or symptoms of cancer. They didn't use the results to treat patients. And surprisingly, for the most part, they weren't even qualified to understand and interpret the test results. And these arrangements were disguised by sham agreements that disguised the kickbacks and bribes as hourly or flat fee payments. Now... The government also alleged that Reddy and his co-conspirators took advantage of his lab's physical location. Again, as I mentioned earlier, the MAC for Pennsylvania at the time these tests were submitted to the MAC, Novitas, offered the highest reimbursement rates in the United States for these tests. But the strikes against Reddy and his labs didn't stop there. In certain limited circumstances, Medicare allows independent clinical labs to create arrangements with what are called reference labs. And and Reddy took advantage of this and had his labs involved in these arrangements. But again, nothing illegal about this. However, in order for these arrangements with an independent clinical lab to be able to bill for the tests as as they perform them, they must meet one of three conditions. The reference lab must be located in or part of a rural hospital, which is not the case for these clinical labs because they're located here in Allegheny County, which is the um, county in which Pittsburgh is located, certainly not a rural area. The referring lab is owned by the entity that owned the reference lab. The referring lab owned the reference lab or both the referring lab and the reference lab were owned in whole by a third party. Again, not the case here. Or... The referring lab doesn't refer more than 30% of the clinical tests it received requests for during a single calendar year. And this last one is how Reddy 
legally justify his lab's relationship with the reference labs. Now, Reddy disclosed to the government that his clinical labs had relationships with reference labs, so the government was aware the tests were being sent off to a reference lab. The problem with this arrangement was that at no point did either of Reddy's lab possess properly validated testing equipment necessary to run these tests on site. So they had to send every single sample to a reference lab. And as you can imagine, every sample comes up a lot closer to 100% of the tests being sent out than the only 30% required by the Medicare payment rule. Reddy, however, told the government he was sending out only 30%. To make matters worse for Mr. Reddy, the government was able to find evidence that Reddy had regular discussions that provided compelling evidence that he knew that far more than 30% of the tests were being sent out. And uh, this is a favorite, Henry, but Mr. Reddy and his co-conspirators also allegedly regularly circulated a spreadsheet tracking Medicare claims submitted, the amount billed, amount paid by Medicare, and the kickback owed to each person for each (laughs) Medicare beneficiary. And there's really no better way to get caught than to main records that accurately document your fraud. Now, the kickbacks in this case typically range anywhere from 40 to 55% of the net Medicare reimbursement after overhead deductions. And with testing regularly exceeding over 12 grand per beneficiary, the financial benefits of the scheme added up quickly. Henry, why don't you tell us how the financial impact of the scheme on the Medicare program factored into the penalties that were assessed against Mr. Reddy once the scheme was discovered and prosecuted by the federal government? Thanks, Hala. In the crime doesn't pay segment of this podcast, uh, we want to point out that all in all, the government alleged that Reddy and his co-conspirators caused a loss to the Medicare program in excess of $60 million dollars. Once confronted with the evidence against him that Hale described, Reddy saw the writing on the wall and pled guilty to three counts of conspiring to commit offenses against the U.S. and one count of offering and paying kickbacks in connection with the federal health care program. Reddy and his lawyer asked the government for leniency in part because he claimed he offered free COVID-19 testing during the pandemic. However, the federal court did not seem to take that into account because they responded to his request by sentencing Reddy to 18 months in prison. He will not be permitted to keep any of his ill-gotten gains. Reddy was ordered to pay forfeit $9 million in criminal proceeds and pay more than $77 million in restitution. But as it turns out, these were not the only amounts that Mr. Reddy owed as a result of his fraud scheme. Apparently, you're allowed to make installment payments on uh the amounts owed to the government. Because we found in a separate filing, Mr. Reddy requested that the government reconsider its order that Reddy make a lump sum payment of $10,400,000 by September 28, 2023. He asked the court to modify this order so that he would make a lump sum payment of only $1,597,569.07. Why the unusual amount? Well, in this filing, Mr. Reddy claimed that the $10,400,000 that he owed in this installment was several times greater than all the assets in his name. He also revealed in his filing that he owed the Pennsylvania State 
a tax lien in the amount of over 1.6 million and the IRS never missed their opportunity to get their due. They imposed a tax liability of $23,089,618.97, both as a result of the fraudulent income he earned as a result of his conspiracy and, and conviction. He also claimed that after paying the court's forfeiture judgment of $9,176,299, his escrow account had and continues to have a balance of a little more than $3,500,000 and that Mr. Reddy's settlement trust fund had a zero balance and will be dissolved. Typically, courts are unmoved by appeals like this, but Someone was smiling down on Mr. Reddy, and in September, the court granted his motion for reconsideration of restitution and lowered the amount of the payment that he had to pay in September of 2023 to only $1.6 as he requested. But to show that the court and the federal government are not completely heartless, in an uncontested motion, the court extended the date on which Mr. Reddy must report to prison from September 27th to the week of October 16th. Boy, they almost gave him a whole month extension. And the reason for the extension was so that he can make arrangements to care for his mother who was suffering from severe dementia and so that Mr. Reddy could receive oral surgery that was scheduled before his surrender date was set. Now, as we said, the government granted these requests, but we speculate that the granting, that the granting of his request was more so that the oral surgery procedure could be performed before he was incarcerated because after he was incarcerated, the cost of the procedure would be borne by the government. So while the government cut him a break, we think they didn't cut him a lot of much of a break because he wasn't even granted a full month delay in reporting to prison. And it appears that from what you, when you read between the lines, that the reason for the extension was more to save the government money than to help Mr. Reddy. Now, Henry, Pittsburgh is known as the city of champions. So rest assured that we certainly have more heroes than just Mr. Reddy. For our next scheme, we take you through the Liberty Tunnels and down Route 51 to visit a physician by the name of Dr. John Sang Lee. Now, Dr. Lee owned and operated a medical practice here in Pittsburgh known as the Jefferson Pain and Rehabilitation Center. Now, as I've told our loyal listeners on several occasions, many, many years ago, before I became a lawyer, I went to pharmacy school. Again, that was a long time ago, and I've not practiced pharmacy for over 40 years, so I don't recall much of what I learned in pharmacy school. However, I still remember the lecture we had on pain, which the professor defined as that which hurts. That definition has always stuck with me because I was expecting something a little more profound. However, I have to admit that age has taught me that this is a very accurate definition of the vague concept of pain. Equally vague is how pain is measured and then treated. Between the definition, the difficulty of clearly defining when treatment is medically necessary and because of the controlled substances often used to treat pain, pain treatment has become a fertile ground for fraud and a target-rich environment for the federal government which has led to a crackdown on pain centers in recent years, including one in our backyard. Hale, why don't you tell us what exactly happened here? 
Yeah, so Dr. Lee's scheme is not the typical scheme we usually discuss, though I'd be wrong if I said he didn't remind me of some of our previous fraudsters, and you'll understand why in a minute. So over a four-year period, Dr. Lee performed repetitive and medically unnecessary injections on patients, sometimes giving these injections directly against the patient's express wishes to allegedly increase his revenue. And the way he did this all was in a rather disturbing way. So he wasn't holding them down and giving them injections like you give a child a shot at the pediatrician, but in these instances where he had patients telling him that the injections weren't helping or were actually causing them more pain than other injuries, instead of just changing their treatment plans, Dr. Lee instructed his staff to withhold these patients' medication if they objected to getting more injections. So the only way that they could get pain medication that was actually helping them was to get these medically unnecessary injections that were not helping them. And then in order to justify that these injections were medically necessary, Dr. Lee had his staff use templates indicating that patients were getting 80% relief from prior pain injections. And this is one of those very few instances that we talked about here on the Kickback Chronicles where what was done just feels really icky because patients were physically impacted in order to line someone's pockets. So Dr. Lee would also expressly condition prescribing controlled substances on patients agreeing to submit to the repetitive and medically unnecessary injections. But as if that wasn't enough, he also sometimes required patients to change their insurance providers in order to increase reimbursements he would receive for repetitive and medically unnecessary injections. Now, probably the more unique, as unique aspect of what was going on here was that Dr. Lee also allegedly directed and paid his own employees in his practice bonuses in order to increase referrals to a facility he owned where he would perform these medically unnecessary injections. And we've seen a lot of payments being made in order to increase referrals, hence the name of this podcast. However, typically the kickbacks are made to a third party, like in the case involving Mr. Reddy. We don't often see kickbacks being paid to a physician's employees to increase referrals to that physician. Now, there is an exception to the anti-kickback statute for bona fide employment relationships. However, this is a classic, classic example of why the government takes the position that the bona fide employment exception does not apply. They focus on the word bona fide and take the position that kickbacks to induce referrals do not constitute a bona fide employment relationship. And to make matters worse for Dr. Lee, he was also distributing Schedule II controlled substances outside the usual course of professional practices and not for legitimate medical reasons. The indictment lists 12 pages of prescriptions Dr. Lee distributed in this matter. Each prescription is a separate count in the indictment that listed the date the prescription was written, the date filled, the specific controlled substance, the concentration, the quantity prescribed, and the recipient. Dr. Lee was indicted in May 2021 and originally entered a plea of not guilty. But over a about a year later, he changed his tone and pled guilty to the health care fraud charges. In March of this year, Dr. Lee, who is now 80 years old, was sentenced to five years probation and ordered to pay Medicare and Medicaid over $400,000 as well as a $50,000 fine. Dr. Lee had already forfeited his DEA license and Pennsylvania medical license prior to sentencing. And not that it matters much to someone that was is 80 years old and doesn't have a license to practice anymore. But the OIG will use this conviction to exclude him from all federal health care programs. 
So while these cases certainly don't warm our hearts or make us swell up with hometown pride, we hope that in these cases you see that healthcare fraud can occur anywhere, even in your backyard. Even in places you drive by every single day. But to anyone who may be tempted to take advantage of the trust that the federal government places in providers, these cases should be a reminder that regardless of the size of the organization or the complexity of the scheme, the government will eventually catch up. Once that happens, the financial penalties they can impose will be far greater than the fruits of the fraudulent scheme. You will be hounded by the state and federal government for back taxes and restitution. You will be excluded from participation in federal health care programs, lose your license, and be the subject of local press accounts. You'll be forced to beg a court for something as simple as scheduling oral surgery or as heartbreaking as taking care of one sick mother. It just isn't worth it. If you want to learn more about the compliance with the False Claims Act, the Anti-Kickback Statute, the Stark Law, the amendments, the regulations to those laws, and much more, considering Joining Dan Mulholland, myself, and our newest faculty member, Ayla, in Las Vegas, from November 14th to the 16th, 2024, for our next seminar on these subjects. In the interim, be sure to check the Horty Springer website to find out how to receive our free weekly newsletter, The Health Law Express, as well as for more information about new and upcoming opportunities on this and many other health law-related topics. Thanks for listening and tune into the next edition of the Kickback Chronicles so you can keep learning from the misfortune of others. 